So if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 2 as we continue our time uh, through Paul's letter to the Romans. And as you remember, uh, Romans chapter 1, Paul had spoken especially uh, to those pagan Gentiles who had never heard the law of Moses, and he had made it clear that there was a coming judgment uh, of God against their sin. He, he had revealed to them their need for the gospel, but there was resistance to this gospel. Um, so Paul says, well, uh, some, some were saying, Paul, you know, that's very nice, uh, but, but I don't need your gospel. The whole point of Romans 1, verses 18 through the end of the chapter, really is Paul saying, no, you have no idea. <laughs> you need exactly what you say you don't need. You need precisely. You need, uh, that, that is exactly what you need. You need Christ. Uh, they needed the gospel. And then at the beginning of chapter 2, where Pastor John was uh, last Sunday, he turns his attention towards his fellow Jews. Paul himself, a Jew, a man trained as a rabbi, as a Pharisee, now turns, his, uh, turns to his own people, the, the religious people of the day, the people who had received the one true revelation of God uh, through the writings of the Old Testament. He says to them, you need the gospel too. Their natural disposition is, guess, guess what? We don't need the gospel. Uh, we have the law. In the, in the very first verses, he points out their hypocrisy, that, that though they say they have the law and the Gentiles don't, um, they do many of the same things that they accuse the Gentiles of doing themselves. So he spends his time confronting them in their hypocrisy. We're going to pick up in verse 12 uh, through 16 this morning. <clears throat> so let's jump right into the text and jump into our sermon this morning. Romans 2, 12 to 16. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, I'm, we pray this morning, Father, that you would use your word to pierce our souls, pierce our hearts, our minds. God, help us open our eyes to see your word, open our ears to hear it, open our minds to receive it and transform our hearts so that we may live by it. Lord, we pray that your word, as we know your scriptures will say and do say, that your word will never return void. So Father, use it today in our lives. We ask all that in Christ's name. Amen. 
<clears throat> excuse me, there are some uh, who believe that in the final judgment, in the final consummation of God, of God's judgment on this world, that God's grace is going to triumph over his justice. Some people are saying that somehow, in the end, those who have not embraced Christ in this life uh, will, be, uh, will be covered under God's mercy, uh, embraced by him at the judgment. And they believe uh, most, if not all, will be redeemed. They, they will not undergo the punishment of God's just sentence. Theologians like uh, Clark Pinnock and his writings popularized this view. Um, about 20 years ago, uh, I remember going to this thing called the Catalyst Conference, which is kind of under the wing, initially under the wing of Passion Conference, um, where Christian leaders gather and and, and um, you know, it's sort of a conference for Christian leaders. So anyways, a man by the name of Rob Bell was there. And, and at the time, Rob Bell was premiering as like the, the, you know, he was super popular pastor, author at the time. Uh, I remember he, him, it was the first, first pastor I ever saw like that, that sat on a couch and he, you know, he crossed his legs and talked and you know, that was sort of the, he was a real cool guy, right? And so, I mean, that was sort of the, the premise of him. And well, in 2011, you know, he wrote a book called Love Wins. And uh, he began to reject Orthodox Christianity. He lost sight of the judgment of God, which this passage directly talks about this morning. And he began to embrace universalism. And we've all heard of this notion, right? That, that somehow... Some way, God, in the end, is not going to punish everyone. Uh, God is not going to bring to bear punishment on those who have rejected Christ. That evangelical universalism, we might call it, uh, it, it directly reject, it's directly rejected by Paul in this passage. But Paul also presses in on another problematic belief held by professing believers, um, there are many who are a part of the church who, you know, with their lips say that they believe in the gospel, but with their lives, their lives contradict those claims. Uh, they feel secure because they have, with their lips, made a profession of faith. You know, they've walked the aisle. They, they prayed the prayer. They've done all the things, Right? but their lives portray a lack of gospel-transforming power. Now, I'm not talking about perfectionism here, okay? Let me be abundantly clear from the very beginning. I'm not talking about perfectionism here. Every one of us, even the most mature Christians, uh, especially the, mo the mature Christians who are in this congregation, you know that the Christian life is not characterized by perfection is characterized by growth in the gospel. You know, we, we grow in grace. Uh, we continue to struggle with sin. And there are sins that are, some sins that are very difficult for us to conquer. Uh, and sometimes we are like Paul, we, we cry out, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the bondage of this sin? We feel this from time to time. 
And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a fundamental, a fundamental tension between our profession and our behavior. What we say we believe and how we actually live in our lives, it's, it's like this, I don't know, this schizophrenic bipolarism in the church. You know, and the thing that, as I was thinking about this passage, is something I was thinking about, which, you know, I'm not intending to be necessarily controversial here, but I remember um, uh, thinking about this, makes me think about, you know, uh, 2015, um, the Supreme Court made a historic ruling on the Obergefell decision. I don't know if you remember that, uh, basically legalizing and recognizing uh, same-sex marriage uh, in the U.S. I, I was a army chaplain at the time, and there was a bunch of, uh, you know, unknown of what that was going to mean for us and, 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 and you know, especially those who come from, like, the Southern Baptist Convention. North, I'm a North American Mission Board missionary, uh, you know, who have biblical orthodox positions on, uh, on, on marriage and sexuality. Uh, and so what is that going to mean for us? Uh, how, what are we going to be to do? So there was a lot of uncertainty there. Uh, but I remember this, this time uh, seeing in the evangelical circles, um, you know, tons of outrage, right? Tons of disgust, tons of, of, of uh, wave, you know, waving the, the flag of moralism and waving the flag of, of, um, of, of, I would say, moral superiority. Um, and this is something we, sh- we should be very, very serious about. The Bible is very clear on this matter, right? Um, the Bible is very clear. However, I remember reading an article highlighting the reality that the church actually lost its moral high ground long before 2015 when decade after decade after decade, many churches, many Christians turned, um, turned a blind eye to unbiblical divorce. And I want to be clear, there are just biblical reasons for divorce. However, you know that the, the mainstream idea of divorce, it's kind of like we fell out of love, right? We're just not into each other anymore. We've kind of moved on. We've outgrown one another. Um, you know, that was the pervasive message uh, that has kind of undergirded what we've seen in the divorce culture in the world. And many churches turned a blind eye to that, didn't say a word about it. Like it was just, it just happens, you know? And, and this is why I, I, that, that article resonated with me. Like we say we're for biblical marriage, but only sometimes. You know, uh, I once heard of a Christian family uh, whose teenage daughter um, became pregnant. And historically, this Christian family was, you know, radically opposed to abortion. But when it was their own daughter, when it meant altering their future, her future, um, they chose a different path. You know, this is believing one thing and living in another way. This is the kind of thing Paul is pressing in on. Paul is speaking to people like this 
There are some who say, Paul, look, we have the law. Uh, We don't need your gospel. And Paul has a few responses to that. One response that Paul has is, well, you haven't understood the law. Uh, If you understood the law, you would understand that the law was never given to justify you. Uh, The promises are what you trust in for you. But another charge that he brings to them is you talk about having the law, he says to his people, but you don't live by the law. You make all the noise about how you alone amongst all the peoples of the world were given the law of Moses. That's true, but you don't live by that law. So in this passage, he doubles down on this argument. Paul is responding to this objection he hears. Oh, we don't need the gospel, but Paul, Paul, we, we have the law. And here, his response in three parts. Point number one, we are judged and condemned by the law even if we have never, heard, we have never read or heard the law. We are judged and condemned by the law even if we've never read or heard the law. Look at verses 12 and 13. Here, Paul simply stresses this, that, that Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles, everyone, in other words, right, all of us, will be judged according to the standard of God's holy law, even if one has never heard or read the law of Moses. Because we break the law, we, we will be judged. We will be condemned by the law. Now, bear in mind that throughout this section, Paul's main aim is to bring conviction to the hearts of those Jews who have rejected the gospel. They've rejected Christ. These devout Jews felt secure in their national election and in their possession of the law of Moses. And Paul, Paul wants them to be uncomfortable. He wants them to be insecure. He wants them to be insecure in order that they may run to the only place of of hope and refuge, and that is Jesus Christ. Paul is trying to make them unsettled by pointing out that they that, that, that the law is not going to justify the sinner. Now, it's important we recognize throughout this passage, Paul is not teaching justification by works. He is not teaching justification by works. Some people read this passage and they say, oh, that kind of sounds like Paul says that unless you do this, you won't be saved. It's actually the opposite. Those who don't do this will certainly not be saved. Those who are unrighteous will certainly not be judged before God. Those who are characterized by a life of wickedness will certainly be condemned. Uh, Why is he saying that? Because there are some people who think that simply by hearing the law, they will be declared right before God. That they will stand acquitted before him on the last day. And Paul wants to emphasize that that no sinner will be justified by the law, whether he's a Jew or he's a Gentile. His focus is hypocrisy and self-justification. Either saying, I know the law and uh, not doing it or attempting to justify oneself by, by, by the works of the law. And you see, this is, hearers and doers, right? 
Jesus uses this all the time in his teaching, his parables. He speaks uh, of the distinction between the hearers and doers of the law. And Paul says here, look, my Jewish friends, you have the law, <clears throat> you, but you don't do it. And in the end, if you expect to be justified by the law, the only way to be justified by the law is by doing it and doing all of it perfectly. And so I would suggest to you that unless you want to stand before God on those grounds, you probably ought to try another way. And the only way is my gospel, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now his words not only have reference to the Jews then, but they also apply to us today. For us, if we, you know, if we cling to a religious profession, a faith that, that is contradicted by the whole tenor of our lives, we are in the same, you know, really the same curious position of presuming God's mercy while living in a way that shows we're not really and haven't understood or embraced the gospel. Paul emphasizes here that the fact that that what counts both now and in the day of judgment is not whether people have possessed the law or have read it. Had it read to them in synagogues or in churches or at VBS, but whether they have conducted their lives in accordance with its requirements. So for those people who expect to be judged right before God on the basis of how they lived, if you choose that path, you better be absolutely perfect. And the Apostle Paul is, is beginning to lay out an argument that there is no one, no one who will be justified in that way. Just wait till we get to Romans chapter three. If you think you're awesome, continue to come and listen. Everyone fall short. We could find striking examples of how, how people within the church fall short if they are expected to be justified by their own lives on the last day. And I know I've used this illustration before, but I know <clears throat> that there is enough pride in my very best sermon to condemn me by the law of God. God is not weighing the good parts of me giving my life to ministry and standing in front of you here today and saying, well, that kind of outweighs any pride that there possibly might be in the sermon. You know, this desire of like, after I get through today, you come down and say, Adam, you did so good. It was such a good job, right? You see what's happening there. I'm being a glory thief. But what we see here, it doesn't work that way. It's not a scale where, you know, our good and our bad are kind of, you know, balancing one another and just a little bit more good. Oh yeah, you're justified. But that's not how it works. So Paul is simply saying this, don't rest in this generic idea that God is sort of going to weigh out your life. A little bit of good, a little bit of bad, and then, you know, everything will be fine in the end because God will judge by his law. Everyone whose confidence is in the law and not in Jesus Christ is going to come up woefully short. Whether Jew or Gentile, 
This is really sobering, really a sobering word that Paul brings here. He's emphasizing that no one can stand before God as righteous merely by hearing or having the word read to them or even having it in possession. If you intend to be justified by law, then you must do the law as Leviticus says. And so the apostle Paul basically is saying, if you have not done the law, then there is only one hope for you. And that only hope is the gospel. So we are judged and condemned by the law even if we have never read or heard the law. That's the first part. The second part is this. Even without being told, our conscience confirms to us God's just condemnation for our sins. Even without being told, our conscience confirms to us God's just condemnation for our sins. Paul continues his argument in verses 14 and 15. Someone might object, wait a minute, Paul. Uh, It's not fair. That's not fair. You say everybody's going to be judged by the law. Even those who have never heard the law of Moses, like that's not fair. But Paul says, no. Everyone who is alive, has the work of the law written on their hearts. Everyone who is alive has the works of the law written on their hearts. Our consciousness, our consciousness, in other words, confirms to us that God's judgment against sin is real and it's right. Paul is just, you know, he's piling on, he's heaping on condemnation uh, on the Jews. And the Jews have said, well, We have the law, and therefore, we don't need your gospel, Paul. And he says, look, you're culpable by the law that you're boasting in. Let me me show you that even the Gentiles come short if they trust in the law. Now, this is important because we often hear modern objection to the gospel, and it goes something like this. Uh, Well, you know, it's not fair to say that God will judge people. Uh, What about those who have never heard? You know, what about the stranded man on the desert island, right? This hypothetical question we hear sometimes. And Paul's getting at a similar kind of objection here. Well, this, you know, this isn't fair, Paul. Many people have never heard or read Moses' law. How can can, uh, they be judged by that law? Paul says, Well, fine, let me show you. Let me explain to you. Yes, indeed, they will be judged by the law because everyone has the requirements of the law. It's written on their hearts, everyone. And let me prove it. He first asserts that there is no human being that does not have these things, the requirements of the law inscribed permanently on their heart, you know, having a sense of right and wrong in their innermost being that they know. Now, you know, And then he says, well, you know, or you may say, Paul, this is simply your philosophy. I disagree with your philosophy. And Paul says, you know, let me give you some evidence of my philosophy then. You know, then he goes on. First of all, notice how the Gentiles who sometimes do the works of the law, he says, look around at the governments of the Gentiles. All their governments have standards. Many of those standards are good. Many 
of those standards are in accordance with the law that, that God has revealed through Moses. And, and the reason, you know, murder is wrong in a lot of places that aren't Christian, that, that aren't, you know, the laws aren't Christian, right? People know. And the reason that they're in accordance with the laws that are revealed in Moses is that they're based on the principles of the law that are inscribed in the heart. So the very fact that you see governments with standards around you is evidence, Paul is making here, is evidence described, has indicated that the works of the law on people's hearts. He goes on to say, furthermore, they act in accordance with those laws from time to time. They're, they're not always all bad. They, they do some good things from time to time. That's evidence that the works of the law are written on their hearts. You know, I've seen, I've been on the other side of the world on a mission trip, and I will run into a North American, you know, they're, they're there, good Samaritans or something, and, um, you know, you'll see them like, why, why are you here? I just, just want just to do good in this world, right? And they can do good, they can do good, um, but they're not motivated and driven by the same thing that drives the Christian, right? Uh, you know, from time to time, Christians, non-Christians, they, you know, non-Christians in particular, they feel guilty about things they, they have done or have not done. And, and furthermore, they're, only they're conscious, but they're not only they're conscious, but, but their reflection upon the conscious confirms that, that they indeed have the works of the law written on their hearts because they think about it. Sometimes the thoughts of their hearts acquit them from being guilty of something that they have been accused of by their own conscience even. Other times their reflection actually convicts them of being guilty about something that their conscience has accused them of. And so through all these means, Paul makes it clear that it is evident that God has written the works of the law, the requirements of his law on the hearts of every human being made in his image. And therefore, the old objection, what about those who've never heard? It's not really that complicated, actually. And honestly, if we really think about it, it's kind of like putting God on trial. And, and really, it shows that we have a really small view of sin and the sinfulness of that sin, the depravity that is within us all. Sometimes people will attempt to evade the gospel. They'll say, but, but look, how can we say that people have never, who, who have never heard the gospel are, are, condem you know, are going to be condemned? Because here's the reality, and this is what Paul's getting at. Because they're not condemned on the basis of the gospel. Paul says they're condemned on the basis of the law. And you say, but... But what about those who have never heard the law? And Paul says, those people don't exist. Even the hypothetical stranded man on the deserted island, which is hypothetical, right? It doesn't exist. They may not have heard with their ears, but it's been written on their hearts. There's nobody who is not culpable for their sin. In other words, Paul is saying, everyone stands under the just condemnation of God and even our conscience confirms it. 
You know, I think about, think about Psalm 19, right? We see in general, general revelation that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day after day pours forth speech. Night after night reveals knowledge. In the general creation, we can look and know that there is a God and that God has inscribed within us a sense of right and wrong. The law of God is written on our hearts. And so even without being told, our conscience confirms to us that God's just condemnation for our sin. And that's the second thing Paul's teaching. And here's the third. Only those who are truly resting in the finished work of Jesus will be judged as being righteous before a holy God. Only those who are truly resting in the finished work of Jesus will be judged as being righteous before a holy God. So he goes on in verse 16 to say that on the last day, according to his gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus. Now be careful. Uh, Paul's not contradicting himself here. We just said that Paul is arguing in verses 14 and 15 that, that God is going to judge not by the gospel, but by the law. And so when he says on the day, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus, he's not saying that the gospel will be the standard by which he judges men on the last day. He's noting, however, that in the preaching of the gospel, there's necessarily and inherently a proclamation of God's judgment, of God's just judgment. Even in proclaiming good news, there is the prospect of what? Bad news, right? Think about it. If you preach the gospel that, that though we are sinners and though we are rightly under the condemnation of God, yet God in his mercy and in his love sent his son who lived and died in our place so that if we trust on him alone for our salvation as he's offered in the gospel, we will be saved. We, he receives the punishment for our sin we receive the acquittal and we're declared righteous before God by his deeds. By saying that you are inherently committing yourself to the belief that God will judge and that those who are in Christ will be spared his, his punitive judgment and those who are not will not be spared from his punitive judgment. In other words, the gospel inherently entails the conveying of doctrine of God's final judgment. Any proclamation of good news comes under the assumption of bad news of the judgment of God by the law. It's not so important to us, you know, this, this is so important for us to understand. The gospel doesn't negate judgment. The justice of God's Judgment will be revealed on the day of the coming of Christ, just as the mercy of God's judgment will be revealed on that day. And that's very important in our day and time. Very important. Because there are many Christians who think that God's grace is going to kind of outrule. God's grace rules out eternal punishment. 
or that God's grace rules out final judgment. Paul says, no, no, far from it. God's grace requires judgment. God's grace, listen, grace and mercy are optional. It's optional from God. And the very proclamation of grace requires final judgment. The gospel inherently entails proclaiming the reality of the final judgment and the punishment of sin. Now, I haven't heard as much about this in recent years. There's been a lot going on in the world, a lot to occupy debate among Christians. Um, but the topic of death penalty, it comes up every so often, you know, and you hear people talk about it, or whatever your view, views are on that. One often uh, hears from within the Christian community some flawed thinking that goes like this. If we really understood God's grace and mercy, we would be opposed to the death penalty. Now, Whatever you think of that argument, recognize that underlying it is this idea that grace is the opposite of justice. It's not. Injustice is the opposite of justice. Grace is not opposed to justice. Grace and justice, can go, they can coexist happily together. In fact, there could be no grace for us apart from the justice of God. Because God's grace for us is based upon his enacting of his justice upon his son. And therefore, if grace and justice are at odds with one another, then the gospel is not true. They're not at odds with one another. And so it's important for us to recognize that when Paul says on the day, when according to my gospels, what Paul's saying, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. Yes, yes, we, we preach the gospel of grace. In fact, Paul's whole point here is to make people not trust in their own lives, not in their own works, but to run to Christ, to run to the gospel. But God's grace does not negate the reality of his final judgment. In fact, the reality of his final judgment impels us to embrace his grace now. Don't think that somehow in the end, one part of God is going to be pitted over against the other part of God, right? Because God's attributes and actions, they never contradict one another. They are always in perfect harmony. So the Apostle Paul says, not only now does your conscience show that you are that that your lives will that, that your lives will continue, but on the last day your conscience, with crystal clarity, will confirm that if you are apart from Christ, you have no hope forever. Commenting on this passage in one of his sermons, John Piper says, "There is a coming, and uh, there is a coming." There, there's coming a final day of judgment. We will all give an account of our lives to God. Faith in Christ as our righteousness 
will be our only hope for acceptance with God. This is the essence and heart of the gospel. Christ lived for us. Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns for us. Christ intercedes for us. Christ will come for us. And Christ, our advocate, will be our final judge. Faith in him is the key to assurance in life. Do you see it? The judge who has been judged for us. And so the Apostle Paul is taking away every argument possible that we might bring and say to him, Paul, thank you very much. We don't need your gospel. We don't need your gospel because Paul, uh, you know, Paul knows that, that we need the gospel. He knows that we need the gospel more than anything else. There's nothing we need more than the gospel. We need the gospel more than the air we're breathing right now. Until we understand our deserving of judgment, until we understand the very seriousness of sin, until we believe that God's judgment is just, then we will never understand how amazing grace is. But it is precisely because of the seriousness of sin and the reality of the final judgment that God's grace is so amazing. And Paul is saying, look, your only hope is not to look at yourself. Your only hope is to embrace Christ and the gospel. Trust in him, not in yourself. Accept his life and his death in your place. Recognize that you, in and of yourself, standing before God, you are going to be condemned. But recognize that he, that in his love, has accepted condemnation for you. So that for you, you as you trust in him, there can never be any condemnation. Listen, this is the good news of the gospel. This is amazing grace. The judge of all the universe stands in your place and is judged for you. He takes on your sin, your shame, your guilt, your punishment. And what does he give you in his place? His righteousness, his life, his place in heaven, right? He, he gives this to you. He credits it to your account, not based on anything you have done. Again, if you're gonna rest in the law, you better be perfect. You better be absolutely perfect. But as we'll see in coming weeks, you will fall woefully short. You need the gospel. So listen to the words of Paul here. You know your conscience even bears witness to this reality. You need the gospel. And this is amazing grace. And grace tastes that much sweeter when we embrace the justice of God. Let's pray.